This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider. Welcome to this 91 Investment Views 2022 podcast. With me is Nazmira Muller, who's the Chief Sustainability Officer at 91, newly appointed. Congratulations, Nazmira, first of all. Secondly, you must have a long list of priorities, but what are your top priorities across both the investment and advocacy spaces for next year? Thank you, Lindsay. I do have a bit of a busy agenda, but I think our core focus area on advocacy is this message we've been very clear around the need to support transition as the investment industry climbs on the climate change issues and we try and have a positive impact there. What we need to make sure is that in emerging markets in particular, the focus is on transition. So not just the current carbon intensity of portfolios, but how we encourage countries and companies to transition. And as the Paris Agreement said, we have a common but different approach between developed and emerging markets. So that's the advocacy approach. On the investment side, it's about funding the solution providers and funding that EM transition. You mentioned Paris. We're now in Glasgow, last day of COP26. 91 is terribly committed to net zero. Can you explain the company's approach to net zero and how it will be put into practice next year? We're taking quite a forward-looking approach to net zero, and our essential point is we want to work with high-emitting companies and countries to ensure that they have plausible transition plans. Because ultimately, we think the biggest positive impact we as investors can have on real-world carbon is by encouraging, supporting the reduction of emissions by the high-emitting companies rather than just ignoring them. You kindly sent me a paper that you co-wrote. It's called No One Left Behind. How do you finance a net zero transition that is inclusive of emerging markets as well? It's about developing this idea that it's not about the current level of emissions, but about the direction of travel. And that direction of travel needs to be adjusted between emerging markets and developed markets and even between various emerging markets. On average, the world needs to achieve a 7% per annum reduction in carbon. But whereas developed markets need to cut their carbon emissions by 50% by 2030, for many emerging markets, that number is lower than 30%. So it's having a fair approach is one measure net zero alignment more accurately and fairly. The second message from the paper for asset owners, for the pension funds and the insurance industry is that they must focus on financing transition. And the third message is that we want to develop innovative instruments to finance transition while ensuring you have a real-world carbon reduction. Financing electricity generation is the next question because electricity generation is the primary focus for energy transition in emerging markets, with South Africa being a case in point, of course. What are the key funding streams to decarbonize the electricity sector? So the reason we focus on the electricity sector is for many emerging markets, the electricity sector accounts for somewhere between 30 and 45 percent of emissions. You then add in the transportation sector and you end up with almost 60 percent of emissions for many countries. And the solution to transportation is going to be electric vehicles. So if you have a coal-fired power generation system like South Africa or Indonesia or Vietnam or the Philippines tend to do, what we need to do is we need to look at financing four things. 
The first is the new infrastructure, which is the renewable energy, the batteries, the solar farms and the wind farms that need to go in. And that the private sector in most countries has a good handle on. You see some concessional financing come in, but the private sector can do that. The second, which is often ignored, is the need to finance grid upgrades. So we look at South Africa at this point in time, the best solar resource in the country is the Northern Cape, and it has exactly no capacity to connect any more renewable power after the fifth round of the REAP. So we need to see grid upgrades in many emerging markets, and we need to finance those. And again, provided the transmission entity is financially viable, that can be funded by the private sector. It's the last two components, Lindsay, that are quite tricky, and that's where we need to see more innovative instruments being developed. The third one is the social dimension, the people that lose by the transition, the coal miners, people who work in coal-fired power plants. And the fourth one is how do you encourage these utilities to retire coal plants earlier? How do you make up for that loss of economic value? And I think as a planet, we need to develop the mechanisms for that last one. This sounds like a really long-term project. Before we go to the final question, this sounds it's not going to happen overnight, what you've just described. Of course not. It's not going to happen overnight. But if we want to see the cuts in emissions from emerging markets that are necessary, we need to find solutions for this. EMs currently account for 50% of current emissions. They only account for less than 25% of the stock of emissions in the world, but 50% of current emissions. And by 2030, that number is going to be 90%. So if the developed world doesn't deal with emerging markets emissions, um, they can, Germany can take its emissions to net zero. They're still going to have flooding problems. 91 has launched a bespoke climate risk program with the Educational Institution in London, Imperial College. How's it going to enhance your investment professionals' ability to assess and mitigate climate risk in their portfolios in 2022? Presumably, they're part of the Imperial College process. So we've been very excited about the process we've had with Imperial. We've had two cohorts of our investment team um, go through that program so far. And, and I think they're two primary benefits in terms of thinking about companies at this point in time. I mean, the first is you are seeing real physical risks from climate change at this point and understanding how to think about those risks, modeling everything from floods to droughts to tornadoes, I think is an important point of how we think about companies going forward. The other, which is a little bit more immediate, is what we have realized is the markets have understood that there is a high probability of regulatory change due to the climate risks that are growing. And therefore, when markets start to price in these regulatory risks, you see quite dramatic moves in prices over a period of time. So think about what's happened to the multiples for coal companies over the course of the last decade. They have gone down fourfold the average multiple. And that's what we need to understand is which sectors are going to be most impacted by both the initial direct risks of climate change, but the forecast risks, which are built into the regulatory changes. And Imperial has been very valuable in helping us understand that. Nazmira, thanks so much for your time. It's a very challenging position you have, but very exciting at the same time. That was Nazmira Muller, Chief Sustainability Officer at 91.